This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everyone, welcome back to a very special holiday edition of Friends from Work. This is a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's a podcast that's hosted by me, Kyle Sconowell, and him, my longtime friend, Robbie Earl, who seems to have trimmed his mustache. Robbie, happy 4th of July, happy holiday week. How are you doing, man? Sorry, my dog's so angry about anybody being outside, which I think he's just cranky because we did have the 4th of July holiday, which is great for us Ooh. and actually just straight torture for him. For, for dogs he, in general. He, he's especially, like ever since he's been little, anytime there's a thunderstorm, like he will go find the bathtub and crawl into the tub and then tuck himself like behind the shower curtain to be just <laughs> at it's it's like uh what they teach you for tornado drills when you're in like elementary school <laughs> and he's got it down he's got it down uh and so yesterday we had a moment of kind of overcast weather here and then the fireworks started and i was like oh man this is we're actually living out a nightmare scenario for my dude and so he he like burrowed as far under our bed as he could around like probably five or six, you know, when stuff started happening with some kind of regularity. And uh, he, as far as I know, did not come out until this morning at like 7.30 a.m. So he's he's in a weird spot. The irony is if it actually was a tornado, the one thing he'd have to get into the bathtub for, he may not even hear that. <laughs> so he wouldn't know the one <laughs> time he true. needed to. <laughs> That's true. My brother uh, has a golden retriever who they have to uh, basically, I think they give him something, some kind of medication because he, she gets yeah. so anxious. So, well, happy 4th of July. I'm coming at you live from my in-laws house here in Holland, Michigan with the turkey heads behind me. If you can Man, see them, a beautiful setup here. That is talking about <laughs> nightmares. That's a, that's a turkey's worst nightmare, I think. is Well, no comment. You're, uh, you're living amongst like trophies of their slaughter. <laughs> Not mine. No comment. Um, <laughs> but it is fun to be in the north for this time of year. Beautiful weather. I went to the beach yesterday. If you saw our Instagram stories, you got a little glimpse of that. Hope everyone had a blast hanging out with friends, family, grilling. But today, let's get down to business to talk 
about Secret Invasion Episode 3, which was an absolute banger. Oh, man. So let's just get into some of the main talking points. Feel free to jump in whenever. Yeah, so uh, there's so much to cover here. I won't take long, but I did just want to say, you know, I was generally positive, but a tad lukewarm on Episode 1. And then Episode 2, I thought was a big step up. And this was, I thought, a considerable step up from episode two. So I just want to oh. say on a tone setting front, since I feel like I, not, I wasn't a skeptic, but I feel like you were a bit more bought in than I was up until now. And this episode, I absolutely loved. So I'm really excited to talk about this. And I'm really excited for the show in general. Don't you just love the epic dialogue sequences? I Man. mean- What's the last time we had something like this? I think Loki finale is what comes to my head. And and this, you know, one, I did get to rewatch the first two episodes like I had been hoping to. That's one thing that the the 4th of July holiday provided. Mm-hmm. And first off, I thought that those were significantly better for me on a on a rewatch. And again, I don't want to paint this picture that I hated them. But I think that for some reason you know, we talk about this all the time. There are so many factors and there's just been a lot going on. But having a chance to sit down and watch these not with, you know, my email uh, splattered across them and just with the intent to enjoy them on their own terms and kind of knowing the framework and the context, they improved and then really set the stage for this to like every everything that that we talked about liking like those dialogue sequences. I thought they were just tightened and they were both tightened and heightened in that it was just like, it was, it was sharp and the editing felt on the cinematography was great. The performances mm-hmm. I thought were as good as we've had, especially from Mendelssohn and Samuel L. Jackson. So yeah, I, I was very jazzed. The, the whole, I kept like pausing it this morning and turning around to tell Candace how good it was. On a quick side note, based off what you just said, this is a larger conversation we need to be having because, as I mentioned, I'm plowing through Silo, the TV show. And, mm. I, and after watching The Last of Us and going back through all of Phase 4 of, of Marvel, it's just kind of like a weird balance that's hitting all shows of when you release them all at once versus when you have to carry weekly weight and how do you tweak your project to fit those weekly episodes? Mm-hmm. And I just think it's one of these things, it's not even a bad thing, where so many of the Marvel shows, they just work better on a full bench. Yeah. Part of it is, I don't even think in episode one, you would have felt that way as much if you could have right away just thrown on episode two and three. Because you're not then evaluating it. You're not pausing going like, how did that one standalone 45 yeah. minutes do? But it's not just Marvel, you know? Like, Silo feels that way a little bit at times, too, where it's like, man, some of this probably would have been better just watching all at once. That's a little tangent. I still think that every individual studio is trying to figure out the balance of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and it is interesting. You're right. This is a larger conversation about just the transition to the streaming model Mm -hmm. in general. But I do think... You're, I mean, it's a good point because I, I feel like tonally the show that we've always thought this would or, or the Marvel project that we always thought that this would most resemble is the Winter Soldier. And, you know, I, I think that this is it's a strength when you can watch these all the way through on Disney Plus, which is, I think, what a lot of people wind up doing. But, yeah, it is a 
it can be a weakness when I'm not sure that to the extent these are supposed to hold up on a week to week basis that Marvel's quite cracked the code on that. And, and that's, I say that from the perspective of, okay, if I look at winter soldier, we've talked about how that's pretty much a flawless Marvel movie. Like if you talk about some of the great things that Marvel does well, you have to talk about that movie. But if you were to pause that movie, you know, 35 minutes in. Sure. I think you would have a similar, you know, even if even if you could find a good stopping point, I think you would feel like there's some weirdness there and there's some strange pacing. And I, I think that that's because of that, like, conversion of a movie formula into a show formula thing. But yeah, I think the upside is that it makes it work really well when you do get to go back and, and watch. I just think that's a lot of studios, though. I don't think that's exclusive to Marvel. I think it's everybody trying to figure out the new streaming platform. Because, I mean, Netflix basically just bailed on the idea. They just release everything at once every time, so they don't have to worry about that part of it. Now, again, there's yeah. huge downsides to that. But I even think back to a lot of my favorite shows, like Severance was my favorite show of last year. I didn't watch it weekly because I caught up so late. So I don't even know how that held up weekly. Like, would that have been the same kind of? I don't know. Yeah. I think everyone's trying to figure out the balance. That's all. It, it it feels like Silo especially feels like a throwback to Lost where it was weekly and, you know, each episode would kind of end on a tiny mini cliffhanger to make you be like, oh, gosh, I got to tune in next week. Uh-huh. Um, anyways, okay, let's start at the very end really quickly. I think that last phone conversation is confirming, right, that Rhodey is a scroll, at least this version of Rhodey. So then the question becomes, how far back do we go? Like, how far back has Rhodey been a scroll since we've seen him? Yeah, man. Uh, th- I mean, th- that's when things get really fun. I've got my I've got my Secret Invasion uh, comic here because we put out our recommendations this past week for uh, for reading for the the MCU Comics Corner on Friends from Work Plus, and uh, mm-hmm. we are about to start reading Secret Invasion. And I debated whether to go with the obvious <laughs> Secret Invasion pick or to go with something that I thought was more tonally on par with the show and then yeah after this episode it's like there are so many elements now that are are coming to the forefront that feel very in line with the original comic including that oh gosh this guy's a scroll and we have no idea how long he's been a scroll and by the way i i watched that last scene with subtitles and all we see is a man uh like a man's voice is i think the the note for closed caption oh but oh, do we that, do we have some kind of confirmation? It is in fact Rhodey, right? Or that I is mean, Don Cheadle's voice, at least on the phone. That's a hundred percent Don Cheadle's voice, in my opinion. I'll die on that hill. Okay. I, I didn't okay. watch those subtitles, so I didn't see that. But I think that's what that was, and the fact that he said he's or he's near Gravik, like Nick Fury's wife was attempting to call Gravik, right? That's the point, and he answered the phone, right? So yeah. That was my that was my read. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Let's just talk about that. I thought the actual um Talos and Gravik threatening sequence where they met up the parlay, even though we had mm-hmm. seen that shot in the trailer, that was one of the highlights, dude. That was chill inducing when he grabbed him. And then by the way, tying in my uh Instagram video and my TikTok video I made last week, we got so many answers on yeah. that machine. He yeah. literally says super scroll in this, but yeah. I'm thinking about that scene I was just talking about Talos stabbing his hand with a knife, which by the way, again, 
brutality up the notch here. Mm-hmm. And then him just pulling his hand out in extremis. Yeah. Wow. The extremis so was he a does nice... have the extremis thing. Man. Yeah. Every man, ev- everything came together in this episode and the, the way that they are introducing the concept of super scrolls and mm-hmm. the, the role of scrolls as villains. It, it's like, I was so uncertain how they were going to, to do this after making so much of Captain Marvel about the bait and switch of, Oh, you think they're villains, but they're not. And, you know, we've talked about that some in the last two episodes, obviously, but this is where it really like, yeah, the, the scene when you see all the other folks in the, the cafe turn into graphic coupled with the extremists it's like oh this is this is what i would want villain scrolls to look like and this is such a great you know i'm I'm sure i feel like a lot of folks have talked about how you do a super scroll without the fantastic four because scrolls are originally fantastic four villains and the whole point is they each have one of the fantastic four powers we talked about that some last week but this is also like not only what what we covered there and what you pointed out on the TikTok about pulling from existing folks within the MCU or, or power sets within the MCU, but also instead of of coming back for revenge on the Fantastic Four, which is kind of how the Super Scroll starts, the idea that they are intentionally prepping themselves to go against the Avengers. I love mm. that. Oh. I loved it so much. And by the way, so, I mean, they shoot Gaia at the end of this. Yeah. I'm going to tie this back in because, first of all, crazy shocking twist. Please, she can't actually be dead. There, I mean, I just don't think they're going to kill Amelia Clark's character when she seemingly off camera was so bought into this world. I just think there's such a rich story that you'd be missing out if she's actually dead, but maybe she's actually dead. I got to say, you read into this as you will in the trailer, there are clearly a few more shots of Gaia that we have Mm. not yet seen. So if those are not flashbacks and she's actually dead, while I appreciate the boldness, I think I'll just be bummed from a missing a character standpoint kind of thing. Like I want more from her. I'm enjoying what I'm getting. But I, I think she's possibly not dead. Is it possible that maybe she already got extremis? You know, like I, I, I wondered that. I wondered that. Uh, and because maybe the bullet, like, missed her heart. And by the way, Iron Man 3 is living good today, which you're probably loving. The yeah. tie-ins there. Um, but, okay, even in Iron Man 3, we saw that it's incredibly difficult to kill people with extremis. Right? Like, uh, the main bad guy, Killian... He finally gets in the suit and explodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even the crony that he has, you know, Tony shoots him with his repulsor beam one time and that doesn't do it. And it's not until they're on Air Force One, right, that he like cuts his head off or cuts him in half. I, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Uh, but it takes a lot to kill him. So my point is like maybe they could say that the bullet missed her heart and then Extremis still healed her potentially. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what I was thinking. It just, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like the end of her story to me. 
Well, then the question is, did she behind Gravik's back use the machine and get extremists? And he doesn't know. Or was it part of him already leveling up her as a super scroll before this, in which case he's underestimating the power of extremists? Do you see what I'm asking? See, so I do think, I think it would be the former because if anything, I think it would be something she was, I mean, we saw her spying on the the scientists that were helping mm-hmm. create the machine. We saw her find out about the the program when she's looking through the, the, the scroll computer network. And so, yeah, I could see that. I would buy into that. And I kind of like the idea of, you know, I, I want her to be as as the daughter of Talos and as kind of bold as she's been. I would buy I would buy her having gone for something like that. Then the question becomes, does this machine give them all of those powers in one swoop or do they have to come back in for different sessions based on the DNA they're multiplying? Yeah. And that sounds like I'm being picky, but I'm curious, does he already have a Groot DNA I'm, in him? Yeah. I'm wondering that too. Does he already have some kind of call obsidian shout out? Uh, fascinated about that. And then also for me, the other massive reveal in this episode was just that Fury's wife, whether she was true to him originally or whatnot, mm-hmm. post the two absences is now working with Gravik, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, to some degree. She's at least trying to get in touch with him. Yeah. And I mean, what was that gun all about then? Yeah, that on I I'm sure there are so many things being theorized that that we're too early to have caught, but yeah, I mean, I really I really liked the way that they handled Fury and Vara's relationship and their history here. And it, it's honestly a big part of of why this episode works so well for me. The, those opening sequences there, both the flashback and the breakfast conversation, just mm-hmm. set the tone so well. I feel like it it really, it grounded it. Uh, it, it gave us additional information about not just Fury's backstory, but where he is right now, emotionally, who he is. And I just, I bought the whole, the whole relationship. Like the idea that they started knowing that it was kind of a, uh, an uneasy thing, that there was some level of tension there. And then the, the honesty, whenever he asks, you know, who she is and who she's become in his absence. I love that. I love that she doesn't lie to him, you know, and then we see her tuck a phone away at the end of the scene. Like, I love that you kind of, she basically says, I'm who I always was and who I need to be, which is kind of like, not an admission. It's it's almost a declaration. Right. Right. And on just a surface level, that's another answer from last week, which is that, yeah. Apparently Fury does know she is a scroll. You know, we talked about that. Could he possibly have had that hidden from him? But no, he does know. The last little reveal slash Easter egg that was wild was how about the Drakov shout out? Did you yes. catch that? Yes. A Black Widow reference. Yeah. 
I love that. The, Which this is like the perfect example of. Rogue One, I guess, thus far. It, it's kind of what we always talk about with these shows, which is like these individual shows not being the massive events, but mm-hmm. allowing them to fill in all these gaps on these characters. And so I just love this show being a glue, a glue to, oh, Nick Fury knew about Dracoff a little bit, obviously, and how he worked with Black Widow. And, oh, a little bit of a glue on the history between Talos and Nick mm-hmm. and his wife and the scrolls and going back to 1998, but not doing anything that offends, like we talked about last week, but actually enhances, bolsters the original plot yeah. from Captain Marvel or from Black Widow, et cetera. And these shows, when done well, can do, you know, they can be the perfect glue. And I love that. I, I'm i so glad that you said that because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, well, and Extremis, Iron Man three, yeah. Sorry, th- this is this is at least as of now exactly what I I want a, a Marvel Disney Plus show to do. Mm. And I recognize that that there there are a lot of shows that have come out that I've loved and and have spoken really highly of, but. I think for whatever reason, the model became if we don't if we don't necessarily have the the audience or the budget or the bandwidth to make mm. a new movie with a new character, even though they you know we've also gotten a ton of uh, phase four projects that did introduce new characters in theaters, then they would they would put it on Disney plus and so you had like she Hulk debut there, Miss Marvel debut there, Moon Knight debut there, and even you know, on on some level, Loki is taking an existing character but putting it into an entirely new him into an entirely new world and, and context. And I'm thinking, you know, really the only shows that we've gotten that have expanded on the the existing MCU kind of in the real world of Earth are I think Falcon Winter Soldier, Hawkeye, and WandaVision and even WandaVision, you know, is kind of argue, arguable, but I, yeah, I, I, again, I'm not saying I want them all to be exactly this. And I do like, I love Loki. I, I'm not even saying that I want everything to be so straightforwardly within the, the ground level MCU or something, but it's just, mm-hmm. I think this is what I always imagined these shows would feel like when Marvel first announced the the big initial slate of of Disney Plus stuff that it would do that kind of glue work of g- t- using the advantage of the time that you get with a with a series to do things that you can't do on the big screen. Right. I actually legitimately love that you just said that because that sets up the back half of this episode in my brain perfectly. Here's what I want to do. I want to tell people about a few of our partners that I'm super stoked on. And then I have a few small things from just like an analytical standpoint that I just want to praise for a second. And then I think we should quickly, now that we're at the halfway point, check in on each character and just kind of mm. where they're at with the show and where it's going, okay? But first, I want to tell people that we are super excited to be joining the Bird yes. Dogs team. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, go to birddogs.com and look it up. But basically, they sell some of the best shorts, pants, joggers for men that you'll ever find. It is super, super comfortable material. Not that rigid cotton stuff. It's incredibly comfortable menswear. 
that we love ourselves. And by the way, I think I heard, Robbie, that even before we partnered with Bird Dogs, at the exact same moment, Candace bought you some Bird Dog stuff, right? Totally unrelated. It's wild. I still, I mean, I guess the only answer is is Jeff Bezos is just in my house. But <laughs> he knows. I, I, we, uh, or I guess this would be Mark Zuckerberg because I think Candace saw it on Instagram. <laughs> but I, yeah, she ordered me these and uh, it was a, she was like, oh, I found something. It's going to be a nice little surprise. And the exact same day we got this email uh, from the folks at Bird Dogs. And yeah, so I was actually, yeah, all day yesterday uh, on, on the 4th, I was repping my khaki shorts. They are wildly comfortable. It's like gym shorts that are khakis. It's unbelievable. What timing? So right now, if you go to birddogs.com slash friends from work or at checkout, use the promo code friends from work, you'll actually receive a free Yeti style tumbler with your purchase of any bird dog stuff. So that's pretty dope. Birddogs.com slash friends from work or use our promo code friends from work. And ladies, by the way, maybe the man in your life is looking for a little gift. Bird dogs could be a very comfortable solution to that gift. So birddogs.com slash friends from work. Also, you've heard us talk about them a lot, but nerdriot.shop has you covered on the upper half of your body. So bird dogs <laughs> gets you covered on the lower half and nerdriot.shop shirts like this one, my star Lord, incredibly dope star lord pink shirt are all available at nerdriot.shop and use our promo code friends from work over there as well to save money on your purchase but that's not all they have been making some incredibly fun new stuff for across the spider-verse and a bunch of other movies and shows that i didn't even know they were making lines for so go to nerdriot.shop today and use our promo code friends from work and don't forget if you do that by the way and you let us know yep. you can receive a free month of Friends from Work Plus Tier 2. So just send us a message after you went to nerdriot.shop. All right, we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, I briefly mentioned this earlier, but there were multiple long dialogue sequences that just really are my mm-hmm. scene, totally my vibe. One of the highlights for me was Talos and Nick Fury's conversation in the car. I mean, how how riveting the performances and how captivating for them yeah. to go back and forth on the credit. But then this show has the buddy cop feel that I felt like Falcon and the Winter Soldier didn't achieve. Yeah. And so the way they're ribbing each other, actually makes me feel something that I'm supposed to be feeling. And I didn't get that in that show. 
But then when he comes back even later and says, the real reason I'm not with Gravik is because of you, it like, it lands for me. So I'm loving the extended dialogue, and I feel like they're able to capture that chemistry between those two performances in a way that some other shows haven't been able to. Yeah, well, and and honestly, I think it's part of why the the rewatch of those first two worked so well for me. Mm. Like, now that I... I think when I saw the first episode, it was a little jarring to see Fury treat Talos as such a close friend when we had really only seen them in the context of Captain Marvel and Mm. very briefly in Far From Home. Like, I was just trying to figure out what the dynamic was. And now that I kind of understand what that relationship is like, which is to say, I, I like that they are still themselves. Like, I like that it's not that Talos, you know, used to be this kind of master general, but mm. is now just like a, a really safe, nice guy that does whatever Fury says, which was kind of the vibe that I was getting at the start. Right. I like now that you see the, you see what's underneath all that. And it's super, it's, it's gotten to be super well-developed. And I think it's really, it's a really satisfying, I I think one of the. Well, I like seeing the tough side of him too, you know? Yes. Yeah. Like in in Captain Marvel, he's kind of, oh, he's the victim, you know, it's, it's help us. I need your help fury. He's a little bit of like a a beaten dog. And so I like reminding ourselves that, no, this is a general that was leading a race of people. Yeah. You know, we talk about how the show has done such great work retroactively. And I think especially with this episode, what I'm really impressed by is how well it is bridging what I've always found to be one of the more difficult gaps between Captain Marvel and the version of Nick Fury that we wound up meeting in phase one, where it's like, Not just, okay, now we know what happened or, you know, after episode two, we knew that Fury had employed scrolls, but the more we hear about the dynamic, the more we see how his relationship was changing both with the scrolls and with S.H.I.E.L.D. and in relation to the world in general. And it's like, I think this has the potential to graft Captain Marvel in more effectively than, than I ever thought it it could be. And again, not saying that Captain Marvel is some is some kind of aberration or anything. I think it was just that tonally, it was always hard for me to get from there to the kind of mysterious Nick Fury that we ultimately knew. And I love how much now it it feels like a, a there's a through line. It makes so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is that wasn't the only time though, as well. Like. I talked about the conversation between Talos and Gravik that I thought enhanced that as well and also was so good. But also once they got to the actual house of Bob or whatever, the dialogue even inside and how they go about interrogating and rescuing each other, I, I just I'm buying the whole thing. And I feel like from a practical writing standpoint, it's very, very good. And that's the second thing I want to point out. Visually, I understand that this show can limit the CGI because they're not flying around battling each other. They're not trying to superimpose a bunch of crazy backgrounds with green screen. So I get Mm -hmm. that. So I'm not saying that like this is on par with guardians three visually because they're not even trying to do the same thing. I get that. 
However, man, because this is the kind of show that they're forced to go back to building really authentic feeling sets Mm -hmm. and lighting those sets in a really real way, I am loving the gritty feel of all the visual side of it. Not only the brutality, but how it's actually all executed. There hasn't been a single shot in this show that has pulled me out visually where I'm like, oh man, that doesn't feel authentic. I think when they go to these houses, it feels like they're going to the houses. When they're in the, the bunker of the, uh, the nuclear reactor bunker, like that room, Mm -hmm. they built that set out to be as authentic of like a 1970s feeling abandoned bunker. And it it feels just like that to me. Or when they stop and have that conversation that Gravik and Talos do in like the museum, that Uh felt like they shot it at the museum. Now I don't know a hundred percent that they did, but I think they did. And just in the context of all the visual talk from this year and then the way we even bring up the visuals from like Indiana Jones, Dial of Destiny, like we did last week on Screensaver, that's fresh in my mind. And I'm just thinking like, this is so fun to go back to practical sets, practical Mm -hmm. lighting and or real on location shooting. It's just been really refreshing. I totally agree. And one thing that I have really appreciated on that front is they just take advantage of the makeup that you can use to create scrolls instead Mm -hmm. of not only CGIing the appearance, but also we rarely see the actual transitions, you know, like they do a good job of, of someone's walking and they walk behind a wall and then they walk out and now there's somebody else. And I could see some people saying, Oh, you know, it's just, it's clear that they don't have the budget. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, this is a perfect solution. Don't well, and, force and, it. And when they do, it's very obvious the entire budget has gone to that. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I think the transitions we have seen, or like even the way Extremis looked, mm-hmm. looked as good as I've ever seen it. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And, and I think it's, you know, you, I'd be curious to see, you know, once we have a little bit more distance, some of the differences between this show and She Hulk, for instance, like, both in budget and approach. But, you know, one thing we talked about with She-Hulk, and we've debated whether that was possible, but how different would that have hit if they had found a way to to ground her appearance more in some kind of prosthetics or more of a, of a makeup approach rather than just straight digital effects? And we don't need to relitigate that, but just in the context here, it's so clear how effective it is when you can do that. It feels, you're right, there's never that distracting moment. I love the way that they have keyed in the sound effect of knowing what it sounds like yeah. when they morph so that that can happen off camera. Yeah. It's, I think it's just been, again, like, you know, that's the thing. These shows are, are you are going to have limitations. And rather than just kind of go full steam ahead and then force out something that doesn't rise to the, to the level of excellence that you would like. I like that they have kind of gotten crafty here. And so I kind of want to close it out with one last aspect. We talked about how I'm loving the writing. I'm loving the visuals. I'm loving the acting performances, especially with this super cast. Then we Mm -hmm. also talked about how we did get some reveals, the super scrolls, the Drakov shout out, Uh, the fact that Gaia is working with Talos somehow. We talked about how Extremis is making an appearance. Rhodey is most likely a scroll. Nick Fury knows his wife is a scroll, but 
Is she working with Gravik? So my only question going forward from a critical standpoint is I'm loving this pace and this slow pace, and I'm just getting concerned that we're not going to be able to land it exactly how I want it, and mainly Mm. because I want this to linger for a while, I think. Again, back to the six-episode discussion, I just really hope they can find a way to keep escalating this threat to where it feels like bigger and bigger and more real and more real. And then somehow it's not just eradicated in one fail swoop, that there is like a lingering ongoing problem. That's the only way I think they can land this plane. Yeah. Well, and, you know, something that I was thinking about, well, I, I guess I guess two things. Uh, one, critically... Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've thought some of the same things, and that has historically been something that these shows have struggled with is, you know, getting to the final episode and just having way too much to wrap up. And so I am aware of that, but in terms of what we've gotten here, on the flip side, I was I was like having enjoyed my rewatch of these first two more than I expected. Mm-hmm. I found myself nervous coming into episode three today because I was thinking back to all the episode threes that we've gotten. And, oh, yes. You know, a lot of them, again, I think even the ones that that I'm I'm thinking of worked better within the context of just kind of binging it all. But mm-hmm. at the time, you know, episode three of Loki is the one that got the most pushback. Episode three of Miss Marvel is is when that show started kind of going off the rails for me. And mm-hmm. so, and in part, I think it's because, okay, here's where you really, like in episode three, that's when they had to really introduce Sylvie. And so there's a lot of weight now going to this kind of new element. Or episode three, Miss Marvel, that's when you really learn about the the gen. Clandestines. Yeah. yeah. And I... I was a little concerned, like, okay, what sort of episode three are we going to get? Is it going to be a whole new element? And then the pacing gets all thrown off. And instead, it was just a a real tightening up and shoring up and expanding and furthering of what we've gotten, which felt, on the one hand, I guess, standard, but on the other hand, kind of refreshing. Like, it felt like the creators have a, have a steady hand on the wheel. They know where we're going it there were no like oh yikes you know we just added in a whole new thing and i'm mm-hmm. not sure how it's all going to reconcile so yeah i i i share those those trepidations like i always do with these six issue series but yeah at this point i really love i really love the pacing like in, in the context of these first three and the the other point there is I do hope they finish it like you're saying. Like, I I don't want the scrolls to be totally vanquished in this series because what I'm realizing, even seeing Gravik use Extremis, talking about the different powers that they're able to harness for Super Scrolls, it, what I... I think I'm realizing that what I want the MCU to feel like is more like the Marvel Comics universe where there are just these existing characters and people out there that, you know, you'll encounter from time to time in 
you know, Amazing Spider-Man, all of a sudden, you know, he's encountering some scrolls because that's just how the Marvel Comics universe works, where it's all mm-hmm. weaving in. It's not as though the Fantastic Four defeat the scrolls once and for all, and then you never see them again, which is kind of how a lot of the villains functioned in the Infinity Saga era. And now it's like seeing more things, more elements pop up. It's like, yeah, I do want, I do want the the universe to be more heavily populated with new figures and threats like this and, and heroes. It's just starting to make it feel more alive in a, in a way that, you know, maybe I'm biased as the comics reader, but in a way that I, I really like. Well, and I will say, even if they end up defeating Gravik by the end of this, there will at least still be some fallout that'll be important regardless, right? Like, think about the entire world now finding out that the prime minister of England was a scroll. Like, if that right. at least gets revealed, there still will be damage that will have to be dealt with. So I guess... Yes, I want them to leave it somewhat open-ended, and I like these characters being there. I know that they do have to still end the story as well, but even if they end up killing Gravik, which would be okay by me, I, I want to still feel the fallout of what was going on here from a political standpoint for a while. And lastly, I'll just say I love that you made that point about episode three because also, you know, we had the screeners for the first two episodes, so mm. there was a little bit of building and trepidation about the fact that we hadn't seen these for a while. And yeah, like you said, Miss Marvel episode three was where it really fell off a cliff for us. And so the fact that it not only didn't do that, but it feels like it's continuing this upward trend gets me really stoked. Now it's kind of in the WandaVision, uh, Moon Knight episode three, even Hawkeye episode three spot where I feel like everything is working and building. And then I just hope that it doesn't fall off at the end. So now I'm just kind of hoping that it can continue this. Um, help yeah. me out a little bit with this because I don't have any notes. But now that we're halfway through Secret Invasion, let's end the episode by just quickly catching people up on where each character is at. Because I feel like the twisty nature of the show has made that important. So I'll just start yeah, with Nick Fury was clearly gone twice, right? They've now referenced that so many times that not only the blip was the problem, mm-hmm. that post blip he felt so what defeated emotionally that he escaped to space and, and left ostensibly every other relationship behind because now even his wife didn't know where he was and what he was doing, you know? So nobody did. So he was gone. And I think he now halfway through this series is basically still just trying to put all the pieces back together and ultimately feels like because he was gone, that burden he created, he has to solve it himself. Yeah, and we're also seeing how much Talos has kind of hitched his wagon right. to Fury for the last right. three decades, for better or for worse, you know, because it's it's, and I I do I do like that because it feels like it is the dynamic that was initially established in Captain Marvel because again I mean he was he was the leader that the Kree were trying to find and kill you know like he. He was a big deal. He wasn't just a random scroll that befriended Fury and Carol. And so I like that he's kind of, especially here, you know, even if Fury treated him as a subordinate, you're seeing that he's viewed it as a straight up partnership. And Mm -hmm. then for Fury to leave, like like you're saying, or to be blipped out and then leave, and then for things to go poorly and for Talos to be the one that has been so Team Fury 
it's it's creating this this real tension there for him. And so I'm curious, like what, one of the things that I love so much about this is I really don't ever know what any character is going to do. Mm-hmm. And I re- like I, I love that there's not just this arc that is being predictably followed of like, oh, you know, Talos is going along, but you can see that he's about to get fed up. Like, I like that they have these clashes and then kind of work together again, have these clashes. And if Gaia really is dead, I don't know how Talos is going to respond. I don't know if he's going to, I don't know if he'll just go full force, like all out on Gravik, which would make sense. Or if he's just going to be so mad at the fact that Fury kind of created Gravik that, he gets fed up with fury. Like I, I could, I could see either one. And I feel like both would feel super satisfying, but I think that we're, we're leaving him at a spot where one way or another, I think things are about to get super intense for Talos. What an incredible point, because without the Gaia side of this all, I felt like this episode really cemented fury and Talos's relationship. Like, I love the disagreements. I love the tension. But I felt like by the end of this episode, it was clear, okay, Talos is on Team Nick Fury and will be through the end of this show. But you're so right. There's Gaia. Gaia, who was working with Talos now. So she was the one feeding him information and tipping him off, which makes me wonder again about that first episode. Did she still just lie to Talos? Because it seems like something happened that she changed her mind to not lie. Or did she think she had information in marking those backpacks that Gravik was lying to her? Because, you know, she didn't trust her at the time. My take is still that she's been debating, you know, which side she was on. And I think she went with Gravik initially and then saw the fallout of that. Yeah. And, you know, and and then actually decided to go back to, to helping Talos but that's a good that's another good question because you know there is still that tension that I love where Talos is he's not uh Fury and he are both interrogating the the British naval commander Mm -hmm. and Fury is all of a sudden trying to shoot him and again it's like you get that flashback to I think it was episode two where Talos is upset because Fury is super willing to kill a scroll, and mm-hmm. he feels like that's not his place and he's not letting Talos go through with the interrogation the way he thinks he should. And then he gets mad and winds up shooting the guy. And it's just yep. like, you can't, you can't really tell oh. what's going on in his head. And then I, I was just thinking about this, and this could be totally dumb, so let me know if I'm misreading this, but <laughs> okay, <laughs> did, did Talos tell... Fury that he met with Gravik? No, he didn't say that, I don't think. I've only seen it one time. I think that was his attempt at fixing it just scroll v. scroll. Like, r- removing Fury. That's like his under underground right. attempt at saving it. That's a good point. I don't think he told him. Which isn't, you know, th- that's not a thing that it's obviously he's still working on the same side, but it's interesting that, mm-hmm. it, you know, he's not necessarily showing all of his cards. And like, to, I, I think what's interesting even more, and maybe I'm just reading into it, is that's a very Nick Fury thing to do, right? Oh, to yeah. have another back channel going that you're not mm-hmm. telling 
like, so he's helping Fury and is not telling him that he's also got kind of another way that he's approaching this. That but also only, but also only emphasizes the part about how he's been feeding Nick Fury this information. So the, the Nick Fury we've known forever yeah. has had people like Talos doing that for 30 years for him as part yeah. of his spy crew, which just, yeah, only elevates all of that as well. But yes, I love that this series is breaking Talos because the same Talos who didn't want to kill any spies for uh, Britain, remember in the beginning, and he didn't want right. to kill any scrolls is now doing that. And when getting pissed off about his daughter is stabbing Gravik and it's breaking him. So mm -hmm. if Gaia is actually dead, yeah, holy crap. Will that be the final straw that breaks Talos's back against Fury or just against Gravik? Or maybe she's not actually dead and has extremis, but that's a fascinating dynamic to follow. Obviously, Gravik, I think now we very clearly know what his plan is and how the council is involved in that. But even amongst Gravik's uh, followers, he has some diehards that we've clearly seen. The guy who is, you know, trying to launch the missile from the sub, etc. But I think mm -hmm. we're also seeing that between Gaia and that other new recruit that they have some people that are starting to question, like, this is not exactly how I would have gone about it when I signed up. Beto. And so is there even any, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there any tension brewing amongst Gravik's followers as well? And then lastly, checking in on Rhodey and Sonya. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the follow-up that Rhodey is clearly, if that was his voice, a scroll. And so then again, the obvious question is like, how long since then? Like, is it like Ross where there's another Ross and it's not been a lifelong scroll? Maybe. Or has he been a scroll since Endgame? Like, you know, I don't think that. Yeah. I think it's more the recent. But then Sonya now finding out that the scrolls have infiltrated her ranks as well. And so she can't operate like she wants to. Just a lot of stuff that we can follow up on. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. I, I loved, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. I love the Olivia Coleman scene where she puts the eye patch on the, the Nick Fury owl. Uh, <laughs> I love that she found out that he did that, that she's yeah. smart enough to catch that. And I love that there's still enough of a relationship there that even though she's mad, they just move on. Like, yeah, I bugged your place. Like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, the roadie thing, I'm just going to be thinking about this all week, which is what I love. Because I feel like it's been a while since I had a show, a, you know, a week-to-week -week Marvel show, at least, that actually had me kind of on the edge of my seat with this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, you know, I guess we haven't really seen Rhodey since Endgame, except for that brief cameo in Falcon Winter Soldier. So right. there isn't, you know, Ross is, is even trickier if, right. you know, because we, we have to look at what Wakanda Forever was and if this swap happened before or after but yeah with Rhodey I don't know I mean I think I'll go uh, on the record and say that I don't think that Falcon and Winter Soldier conversation was a scroll I think that was too authentic to race stuff to be emulated but we'll see but that's my yeah. guess but you know you did get a little bit of that too in the conversation with Rhodey and Fury right, right. so which was mostly driven by Fury but yes yeah true true I think what I love about this is, like I said, it, it, between this idea and the the fact that we are getting scrolls that are prepping 
to fight superheroes, which, by the way, Fury has already... The whole reason he's not calling them in, which I love, because, you know, we've always talked about wanting explanations for why, if you have a big enough Mm -hmm. threat, you don't just call person X. And he said that it's because, you know, if you bring the Avengers in, then you're going to suddenly have them duplicated and you wind up with someone being declared a terrorist. And what's interesting is now they don't even really, they don't need the Avengers to come back to do that, right? Because if they have powers, if they are able to to emulate convincingly some of these Avengers powers, then they could start doing that regardless. And I think that, again, is straight from the thing about, about Secret Invasion, the comic that made it such a big event, and I've got it again here, is... Oh, yeah. That the scrolls found a way to, like what Gravik is doing, enhance themselves further and go to the point of being able to to imitate actual abilities, which they had never been able to do before. So when they impersonate Spider-Man, you know, be able to stick to walls. But then also they they find a way to be totally undetectable in ways that that go beyond what was previously available to them. So when someone like Reed Richards thought that he would be able to, to detect scrolls, now they've found a way to beat whatever detection system he was using. My point being, they're really leaning into this uh, this level up Avengers thing. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering how Rhodey is going to fit into that. You know, there have been several references to him putting on the suit and carpet bombing. And yeah. has this scroll been acting as War Machine in the world? Is that going to happen at some point in the show? And how is this going to feed into Arbor Wars? Which is, I, I think, totally focused on Rhodey, right? Yes. And the thing about this that is so incredible is not only is the explanation of if we call the Avengers, they could just duplicate their powers and that creates more of an issue. That's accurate. So that's a good explanation for why they're not involved. But also, I love thinking about not only do we not have a super functioning Avengers team, we also mm. don't even know if they were called, due to the nature of all the shape-shifting, how somebody like Bruce Banner is going to solve this. Like, how does Bruce Banner develop? Right. Does he develop a machine that can determine what DNA? You have to get a blood test. Everyone in the world, you know, is a scroll, and then try to out them that way. Like, I love that even with the Avengers, there's not like a really just straightforward practical solution, which That's I so think true. is a perfect yeah. story. Like, like let's say you, Tony it, Stark is here. What's he going to do? Exactly. Start shooting? Yeah. He can stop Gravik. But what about all the other million people? How's he going to figure that out? Yeah, no, that's such a good point. Even if you had the original six Avengers, you know, operating at peak capacity, that's, yeah, what do you do? And it's not even just because it's an escalation of strength. You know, that's the beauty of Mm -hmm. it. It's not just because it's like, well, he's stronger than Thanos. That's why we couldn't stop him. It's like, no, we just don't really understand the nature of the threat, which is... well. I'm I'm thinking about the ending of the Secret Invasion comic and without going into too much detail because I want people to be able to read that and enjoy it. You know, that comic does end in a way that comic events often end and in a way that Marvel projects have been criticized for, which is like the big... A battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in it, it escalates in the comic to go from... Something that starts feeling, it starts out feeling a lot like the show has felt. And then by the end, you've basically got a massive, just straight superhero battle 
of the actual Avengers versus the scroll, uh, like kind of imposter Avengers. Mm. And, you know, we've been told that this show is not going to be that, that it is going to stay in the realm of political paranoid thriller. And I'm really curious what that means because so far I actually think that's that's probably the weakest point of the of the comic is whenever it does blow up into the big grand battle. Not because mm. there's anything wrong with that, but just because there's something kind of inherently unsatisfying about that. Like when when a series is so filled with intrigue and it mm-hmm. really just comes down to who wins the the big fight. Hmm. It's like, okay, yeah, but that's not necessarily that's not what what hooked me about the series in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so I really do like how much they're focusing this in on Fury personally and his connections and, and how, like we're saying, they're making it feel more and more like there's at least now no way that you could end it like that. in the, in the big flashy fight, even if that's what they wanted. So I like that on the one hand, the only other thing about the comic that I wanted to highlight, because you and I have talked about this on and off for years now, is this is the comic that ushers in the Dark Reign era of Marvel, which was the Dark Avengers led by Norman Osborn. Mm-hmm. And so but I, you know I just want to, you know, about. Yeah. I know I want to, I want to put, you know, the antennas up just because. We do have some characters at play in other projects that seem to maybe be moving into that role. Like we've talked about Val and Sharon Carter. And those are two characters that feel very at home in this series that we haven't seen in this series. And Mm -hmm. so I don't, I'm curious as we're talking about how this can maybe set up Armor Wars, which would be another project kind of in this vein, if there's also something you know, between the president that we still don't know anything about and these other leaders, like, are we, and the Thunderbolts movie coming? Like, I feel like there's something... That's true. There's something coming. There's an opportunity for some really interesting connective tissue, which, like we've said, is, I think, what this show has has shown it can do really well. Well, and so much of the last two years in the MCU was the cosmic side of all this. And, yeah, you project Captain America 4, this show, Thunderbolts, even Daredevil, Spider-Man 4, all feel like we're headed towards the more grounded New York Earth side of it again. And that's uh, going to be fascinating. I thought for me, Rob, this was another let's freaking go. I mean, I don't really have many critiques as far as if you're breaking down episode by episode of a television show. I very much am locked in and I enjoyed it. Uh, not much to add. Like, I don't have much to say. I just want to see where it goes and I hope they can land the plane. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. This was a, this was a blast. This is the most fun I feel like I've had watching a, a Marvel show in a while. You know, it's been a while since we had one, but just in terms of how locked in I was and how locked in I am now, I'm really looking forward to next week. Well, you're looking forward to next week on one hand (laughs) and on the other (laughs) hand, So, okay, a few things to tell our audience here. First of all, thank you wherever you are listening for making us a part of your day. It means so much to us. So thank you for growing this community. Um, When life hands you challenges, 
<laughs> friends from work, we work at just coming up with solutions. And so while one thing I'm about to say is a challenge, we have some exciting solutions to that problem. Here's the thing, Robbie, his real life job as a lawyer is totally gonna take over for the next week and a half. You are mm -hmm. going to Waco, I think, for yep. a trial that will literally be 6 a.m. to midnight every day, every day for like 10 days in a row. Yeah. So unfortunately, that means that I'm not going to have Robbie for two separate episodes, at least as of now. Things could change. Maybe you'll find some time. Maybe something will cancel. But as of now, next week's episode of Secret Invasion is going to be co-hosted by a surprise guest that I'm going to leave nameless for now, but should be really fun. But do know that Robbie will still be watching and following along, obviously. Uh, and then I am getting a chance to see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning early, which is amazing. And so our first screensaver episode of Dead Reckoning will also be with a different co-host, someone I'm very excited for you to meet. But that only kicks off a little bit of a, a, a behind-the-scenes era here of a few other co-hosts jumping in on some of these screensaver projects. So be on the lookout, actually, for Candace and Robbie and Candace's friend hosting a Screensaver Plus episode on Lady Bird, which is really mm -hmm. fun, and maybe even a look at Barbie. So while I'm sad that Robbie's not going to be a part of this for the next 10 days, it has presented some exciting solutions for bringing on some other people that I'm really excited for our audience to hear from. And then not to mention, once Robbie's done with trial, we're going to follow up on all of this stuff big time you and I. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I am bummed, especially now how with how locked in I am and how excited I am about the new Mission Impossible. But I am... I'm also grateful because this is something that we've been looking to do. And I think that, you know, we've got some plans to bring some more folks in, especially on the screensaver front uh, and beyond. So this will be a nice little trial run there. I'll be listening. It'll be fun. Mm -hmm. I did, speaking of listening, one thing that I feel like I have not brought up, at least not since the first episode, I really love the music in the show. I really love the theme oh, yeah. song in particular. <laughs> I love that we're going all the way back, but that shows how important it is to you that we have to get it in there. How have we not talked about that? The theme song is pretty dope. It's great. It's like, I, well, I did notice after the very first screener that I had that theme stuck in my head and it's kind of yes. been, it's, it's the fastest. I feel like a, a Disney plus theme has locked in for me. Interesting. So, yeah, I don't know. I really like it. I th it's so fitting. I love the way that it, it's worked through the series and it it works on a large level. It kind of works as a Fury theme. So I just want to shout out Chris Bowers for, for killing it on the music. Well, by the way, that's even a fascinating discussion because I don't know how many shows I'm trying to think even had an intro role, role like that. Like I know Hawkeye did. Right, like, but Miss Marvel would always just go like, Miss Marvel. Right. And uh, I think Loki would just do separate, the, obviously. Loki would save the epic bum bum for the yeah. last, like the, the end credits, right? It would right. just do. So that's totally. And then, yeah, WandaVision was totally separate. But no, because I've been watching Silo and The Last of Us on HBO, those all have the same intro role and, and, and Daredevil back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's what this feels like. The silo theme is incredible as well, but I love that. It, they all kind of fit in the same genre of like a minute and a half long, really dark sounding epic mm -hmm. theme song. 
check out the Daredevil theme, the Silo theme, this Secret Invasion theme, which, by the way, we'll update our journey through the MCU playlist with that. But, uh, yeah, I agree. Thank you for saying that. It's been very, very good. So, all that being said, even though Robbie's out, we have some stuff already recorded. So there's going to be a lot of content still coming your way. We're basically plowing all the way through July. And then like Robbie said, been debating a lot of really fun extra ideas beyond that. So Robbie, good luck at your trial. I hope whatever you want to have happen happens and uh, whatever you don't (laughs) want to have happen doesn't. (laughs) The law happens. And, um, I'm looking forward to still staying in touch with you about how you think secret invasion episode four goes, but to all of our listeners, Stay in touch with us because this can be a crazy season and look for some key new guest hosts coming in these next few episodes. And then we'll have Robbie back for Secret Invasion episode five. So thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out Bird Dogs, Organic Price Books, and Nerd Riot. And follow, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And you can now subscribe to this channel on YouTube if you are watching it the entire time. Thank you to all of our sponsors, and thank you to you guys for listening. We'll see you right back here, Talking Secret Invasion, Episode 4, next Wednesday here on Friends from the